You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, loved ones, if, if you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to mess you up and ask that you go to Romans this week. I'm so sorry. We were on a deep dive in the book of Acts, right? Uh, All year long through the book of Acts. We just finished our first chapter in Acts, the church, seeing how the church began. And uh, uh, throughout this entire year, we're going to take five or six breaks. We're going to come up for air and go to other places in Scripture, and that's one of them right now. So Lord willing, back in the text of Acts next week, carrying on with Act 2 next week, so please come for that. But this week, we are in Romans chapter 12. And what I want to do is I want to revisit a truth that our senior pastor brought us to last weekend. Here's the truth for us. He said this, you cannot fulfill God's will for your life without being connected to his church. You cannot fulfill God's will for your life without being connected to his church. And as we talk about church and as we have looked at the birth of the church, it seemed like a natural stopping point for us as we pause this weekend to look and examine that truth and ask the question of ourselves, am I fulfilling God's will for my life by being connected to his church? And so that's why we're in Romans chapter 12, because that's going to be a great passage for us to measure how connected we are to God's church. Now, before we begin in Romans, Romans is an intimidating book. It's like Thanksgiving dinner and Christmas dinner all together, and you're asked to eat them both all at once. Huge theological truths run through the first 11 chapters before this passage. It talks about the fall of man and the brokenness of man and the rebellion of man. And yet at the same time, it speaks to the work of Jesus Christ and the love of Christ. And then the benefits for us who are found in Jesus Christ. And then what happens is the author of Romans, the Apostle Paul, turns a corner with the 12th chapter. And he says, okay, okay in light of all of these great truths... Now, here is how those truths should change the way that you live. And he begins chapter 12. And he says, you should live your whole life now. In view of the mercies of God, you should live your whole life as worship to God. Not just Saturdays, not just Sundays, not just Wednesdays on youth. All of your days, all of your hours, all of your minutes. Because of his great mercies, you should live as continual, ongoing worshipers of Jesus Christ. And when you do that, when God is the center of your life and you're worshiping him, he goes on, 12, verse 3, and says, you won't be selfish. You're not going to live for yourself. You won't think that you're the center of the universe. You'll start to think of others. And then that setting aside of yourself and thinking of others, that too will be worship. And then verse 4, we see this picture of the many of us coming together, the many individuals gifted by the Holy Spirit in various capacities and various gifts, working together and functioning as a unit, as a whole body under Christ. And that, too, is worship. And then verse 9 comes, our text. And the tone changes from the individual called to worship Paul now changes and talks to all of them called to worship. He moves in his language to big group language. He moves, if you can think of it this way, he moves from y'all 
to all y'all. And in just these next five verses, he's going to show how all of them need to live together to worship God in their living inside the church. And how great is it that I can do the same in reading these words to all y'all now. Here's verse 9. You ready? Romans 12, verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now in your Bible, you might see a break for a paragraph, and there's good reason for that, because verse 14 and on now turns to how we as the church are to live in the world that's around us. And so these five verses, 9 through 13, make a good summary for us to look at what it looks like to be connected in the church. Again, why is this important? Because we can't fulfill God's will for our life without being connected to the church. Now let me rephrase that according to Romans 12. What Romans 12 is going to teach us today is that you cannot fulfill God's will for your life without being, without genuinely loving his church. Without genuinely loving his church, you can't fulfill God's will for your life. I could ask the question, do you love the church this morning? Do you love his church this morning? Now you may ask, okay, well, wait a second, I need a word of clarity. What do, we, what do you mean by church? Well, what I don't mean by church and what Paul doesn't mean by church is the building. We're not talking about bricks and mortar. We're not talking about chairs. We're not talking about the facility of Hope Bible Church that sits at 500 Great Lakes Boulevard. No, the church is the people. The church is the thousands who come here weekly. It's the people, not the building. It's the people, not the building. And just for fun this week, if someone comes to you and says, hey, do you go to that church that's at 500 Great Lakes, you know, Burl Oak and, and, and Great Lakes? Is that, is, that your church? is that where you go to church? You could say to them real sneaky-like, you could say, well, I, that church is only there on Sundays. And then parts of it reappear all over throughout the week. You get what they're saying, they mean building, but what God's word speaks about church, he means people, the people. Another word about that as we begin when we talk about loving his church is that word love. What does love mean? We see right away in verse 9, Paul says, let love be genuine. That's the main passage over this next five verses. It's the title of the message, let love be genuine. Now, the word there for genuine, the New American Standard Bible translates it without hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite when you love people in the church. I think it's a common human condition that all of us have been told that we were loved by someone who did something completely unloving. We've heard the words before and seen how the actions don't line up necessarily. Well, God's word says to us this morning, in the church, don't be hypocrites to each other. Love each other genuinely. Have a genuine love for the people of God. And how do you know when someone genuinely loves you? Is it when you hear them say, I love you, I love you, I love you, a hundred times at you? No, it's when you see them do things that proves love for you. Love is demonstrated in its actions. 
More on that at the end of our message today. What we need to hear right now, again, to our main point, is that you cannot fulfill God's will for your life without a genuine love demonstrated in its actions for the people of God. You may ask, okay, well, what actions? Well, Romans 12, as we're going to read, gives us four sets of actions that are going to prove that we love the church. And we can run through them today as a checklist. Four sets of actions that prove what genuine love looks like for the people of God. Let's hit the first one here. I can know that I have a genuine love for his church if I, number one, have a genuine affection. Genuine affection. Verse 9 continues. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Now remember the context here is the whole church. This is all y'all language right here. Now that word abhor is not a word I use a lot. It, it really means to help you make this understand this a little bit better. It means to, to have a holy gag reflex to evil. When you see evil in your life, in the life of others, when you see a life that is going contrary to the word of God, when you see a, your life, rivers in your own life, going contrary to what God has said in his word, you should have a holy gag reflex. That's what it means to abhor evil. Ah, I don't like that. Remember, the context here is the church. All of us. Listen. We genuinely love one another in this church when we speak up when someone is gripped by evil. That's a genuine love, a genuine giving affection that calls this out in ourselves and in the lives of others that we care about. You speak up, don't you, when someone you love is hurting themselves. This is not condemnation language. Understand me on this. We're not talking about, oh, shame on you, shame on you language. No, 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 no. This is, this is you. As a brother or sister in Christ, you're seeing things in my life, and you're saying, listen, I'm looking at God's word here, and God's word is telling me that you're living contrary to God's word, and God in his word is crying out to you today, don't hurt yourself. Why are you continuing to go against what God's word says? You're just going to bring hurt upon yourself. Don't you know and understand that this will hurt you? That the choices that you've made in this life? Don't you understand that, that, that these will never leave you satisfied? Don't you understand that the choices that you've made against the word of God and his truth will bring you pain? You won't find joy. You won't find peace. You won't find the hope that you're looking for. You won't find the meaning and the value in your life. God's word puts up these signposts and says, don't hurt yourself. And you love people enough to tell them this in love, recognizing your own flaws in love. I was looking at dangerous signs this week. I came across this very interesting one. <laughs> it will end in tears. I think that's at a parking spot. This person has issues, but anyways. This is a good summary for what God's word says to us. Live according to the truth of my word, or it will end in tears. Over against this, though, the people of God, we see this even in our lives and in the lives of others, and we love each other enough to speak the truth. And verse 9 continues, we hold fast to what is good. 
We grip the truth. We love the truth. We embrace the truth of the word of God. Look what comes next, verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. These terms are tied, namely, when I am abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good, one of the ways that I do that is, is demonstrating, I'm demonstrating my brotherly affection for you. I love you enough to say the truth to you. I love you enough to say that you're hurting yourself. I love you enough to say that you're, you're blessing yourself by embracing the truth or you're cursing yourself by running against the truth. And then he adds, outdo one another in showing honor. Now understand this. This is not honoring one another like, oh, you're the best, Craig. Oh, you're, you're so wonderful, Craig. This is patting on the back. Oh, you've got a beautiful haircut today, Craig. Uh, that's not what showing honor is. Listen, biblically showing honor is rightly valuing someone for who they are and what they've done in Christ. Rightly showing honor to one another is rightly valuing someone for who they are in Christ and what they've done in Christ. Now imagine just for a second how that truth alone would transform our community even more than it is already. Imagine if we were outdoing one another in love. You know what it's like when you praise a child? You, what, a, what, a great, what a wonderful job you've done. They sit straighter, they smile, they feel that encouragement in their life, that sense of accomplishment. What does that look like for the church? Imagine, I wrote down this one phrase, a simple phrase. This is the simplest way I know that you can show honor even practically this week. Of course, it goes in longer conversations, but here's a really short, easy way to show honor to one another. What happens if you were to write down this sentence, blank, I love how God is working in you too blank. Praise God for that. And you just filled in a name. You put in a name and said, okay, I love how God is, is causing you to pursue the truth more in your life. And I'm seeing that. I love how God is using you to be the kind of husband that God's calling you to be. I love how God is calling you to, to be the wife that, that, that loves her children and, and loves her husband. I, I love how you're serving in this church and serving the little ones in this church or greeting at the door. I love how God is using you to, to speak the truth into my life when I need to hear it. Even when I don't want to hear it. I love how God is using you to encourage others and look at how he's growing you in Christ and look at how he's working in you. Imagine what would happen if you took this message and put it in an email and sent it to one person this week. Do you think that that would be used to encourage them? What happens if, you sent, if, if all of us sent one email like that? Or if all of us said that one phrase to one person, maybe out in the lobby after the service, what happens if, if we sent 10 like that or 20 like that? That's showing honor, valuing someone for who they are in Christ and what they've done in Christ. You see, God gets all the glory from this. That's brotherly affection. We love each other enough to speak the truth, to warn them when they're in error, to love the truth, and to recognize God's work in their lives. That's proof, number one, that you love the church. Do you see this happening in your life? Have you had conversations like this? Do you say things like this? Well, you can't fulfill God's will for your life without genuinely loving his church, and one of the ways that you can do this is with this genuine affection. Let me give you the second one. I can know that I genuinely love his church 
if I, number two, have a genuine service. <coughs> Verse 11 goes on. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Now, this is not individual language. Again, remember, this is all of us together, all of us not to be slothful in zeal, all of us to be fervent in spirit, all of us to serve the Lord. That word for slothful means to shrink back and to procrastinate. I'm not going to do that today. I heard that they need help with that, but... uh, I, I just wait until they say that we have all the volunteers, and then I'll clap. Uh, I don't know. I'm in a season right now. Instead of this, genuine love for the people of God, the church, is seen in genuine service. He says, be fervent in spirit. That word for fervent means literally to be on fire. I love that. Be on fire. You know what that looks like? someone who's fervent in spirit, talking about service, let's do this. I heard something. I, there's no way they got all the people they need for that. I'm going to step in. That's a huge job. How can you do that by themselves? I'm not waiting to be asked. I'm stepping in. I'm finding a spot. I'm going to get there. I'm going to do this. There is no way they can do this alone. I'm going to step in, burning hot, ready to serve. How can I be used? Despite my giftedness, despite where I feel passionate about, Despite where my niche is, I'm just going to jump in and help. That's fervent in spirit. Three things I want to say about this before we leave this. One, there is always, always something in your life that you're on fire for. No one is universally procrastinating about everything. Okay? That person is dead. (laughs) There is always something in your life that you're on fire for. What is it? What's yours? Some of us were on fire for work. Some of us are on fire for the next media, the next Netflix, the social approval. Some of us are on fire for our kids' sports teams, the stuff we buy or the hobbies we have. God's word calls us to be fervent in service and spirit. It's a good check for us. Here's the second thing I want to say about this. There is a choice to be made. This is not describing a condition where you're emotionally trapped in sloth or fervency. You can choose one or the other. And if you're not choosing to be fervent, then you're choosing to be slothful. If you're not jumping in, you're jumping away. Here's the third thing I want to see, and lastly, this is pretty obvious. It's for the Lord. Did you see this? Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Ultimately, and we use the language around here of give time, ultimately, give time, your give time, comes from your recognition that you are serving the Lord in this. It's for Jesus that you hand out the bulletins. It's for Jesus that you serve on the weekends. It's for Jesus. I'm doing it for him. This reminded me of a a verse that I read a little, I read every year in my Bible reading plan. I don't spend a lot of time in Nehemiah, but I visit it every year. 
And uh, there's this, you know, in the story of Nehemiah where, the, where the, the, the captives come back from the land of Babylon and they're allowed to rebuild some of Jerusalem. The first thing they need to do is put up the fortifications so they're safe. And so they build the city walls and that's Nehemiah's job. He's in charge of looking after the city walls being built. And so you read chapter and a couple chapters of, of the number of the work that's going on. And then you read this one painful, and I'll say painful verse in, in Nehemiah chapter three. And next to them, to the Tekoites repaired. But... Their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. And I read that every year and go, uh-oh. You're not going to stoop to serve the Lord. That's beneath us, they say. I always read that verse with a chill and pray, Lord, save us from attitudes like this. Let me just time out for a second and say, I believe that God has done so much in our church through you who get this truth. You know, just last couple months, we've, we've, we've rolled into four services, and that's been such a huge undertaking, and a lot that you have been asked to carry as well. And we called out and said, we need so much help. We need help in children's ministry and, and connections ministry, just to give two examples. And, and, and I, I was asking Pastor Greg this week, who looks after our children's ministry, I said, how many, how many volunteers have you received since the call first went out? And he says, well, to this date, and praise the Lord, 260 people stepping forward and another 140 in connections ministry stepping forward. Now, I'm not really good at math, but even I can do that. That's 400 people. 400 people who get this, who understand this truth. It doesn't matter what they do for a living. It doesn't matter the kind of cars they drive or the homes they have. It doesn't matter what their day job is. They want to serve the Lord because they love his church. What we're seeing here again is that you can't fulfill God's will for your life without genuinely loving his church. And one of the ways that you demonstrate your love for the church is through genuine service. Genuine affection, not afraid to tell the truth. Genuine service, eager to do so. Here's the third thing, genuine endurance. You can know that you love the church if you have a genuine endurance. Verse 12 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Verse 12 gives us this trio of commands. Regardless of the situation, Paul says, regardless of what you're going through, regardless of the trials, you can rejoice, you can be patient, and you can be praying, and we can all do that together. The church together is called to rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope, choosing to do this and reminding each other of this. We need to rejoice in hope. Not fixing our, our hope on the changing circumstances of the world, but fixing our hope on the unchanging person and the unchanging work of Jesus Christ who loved you and gave his life for you and who promised someday soon that he will welcome you into his eternal glory. That you, if you place faith in him, this trial, this life will end and there will be a great hope beyond greatest measure washed away in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. And together, and together we remind each other of that truth in the midst of trial and difficulty. And then we are patient in tribulation. We choose patience. We remind each other that tribulation is going to come. Pain is going to come. And God will use those things in my life, even hurt, even pain, to grow me in holiness 
for his glory. Trials are not coming to break me and to destroy me. Trials have been given to me by a kind God who seeks to see me grow in the image of Jesus Christ and show that I rely on him and not the things of the world. And when we're in trial together, we remind each other of this truth. And then we choose prayer. We remind each other to pray. I find my strength, my endurance, my wisdom, my hope in the God who loves me so much. And I am limited, and I am weak, and I am sinful. But God is not limited. And God is anything but weak. And God is holy. Limitless resources at his disposal. And we call out to the one who can do anything in our weakness, in our brokenness, in our frailty, in our sin. And when you're together in the church... You call each other in that as well. Listen, do you love this church? Then you will find endurance in your life as you come alongside others who are enduring in this life. God's will for you is that you would endure trial, not be crushed by it. And the church, the people of God, not the building, the church, the people, help you in this when you're connected to them. But are you connected to them? You know, one of the ways, the greatest, fastest way to get slammed in trial is to isolate yourself from others. If you were the enemy of your soul and you were wanting to destroy you, the first thing you would do is remove you from the group. You would feel alone. You would have no one to remind you of the hope. You would have no one to call you to prayer. You would have no one to call you to patience. He would eject you from the community. I'm more and more concerned these days about uh, a cultural phenomenon I see in southern Ontario. We are so isolated. We have a lot of wealth, but we are relationship poor. Our calendars are so full, but we have next to no meaningful friendships in our lives. We live in the sixth largest metro center in North America, and yet we live so isolated with virtual friendships through apps on our devices. We live among millions, but we scroll alone. We are more connected than ever, but we're more distanced from people than ever. And this is true just in, in all of the West. Here's a summary of some recent articles that were found. Just, just two years ago, young people report more loneliness than the elderly. The surprising effects of loneliness on health. Loneliness begets more loneliness. How social isolation is killing us. Social isolation kills more people than obesity. And a poll of millennials was taken recently. 30% of them said that they have no best friends. 22% of them said they had zero friends whatsoever. McLean's Magazine says that we, lives in, we live in one of the most desirous communities in all of Canada. We have stuff but we don't have community. We have money, but we don't have friends. We have nice roads and nice schools, but no one ever comes over to our big houses. Shouldn't this be different in the church of the living God? You cannot fulfill God's will for your life without genuinely loving his church. And this way of isolation reaches a climax when pain comes and hurts comes and we can't solve our problems with our own hands in our own four walls with our own education and our own money. And the enemy laughs. Got him. All alone. I had a friend, he came to this church for a while. His, his name was Colin. And uh, 
Colin was an army ranger. Like he went to the school, he did the ranger thing. It's not something he freely volunteered, except for the fact that he had this gigantic ring that said ranger. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. He's a good friend of mine, but he looked like a superhero to me. I was asking him, man, you did ranger school? I watched it, I figured out what ranger, you did ranger school? That's incredible. And he says, oh yeah, no, no, he just downplayed it because that's what superheroes do. They downplay things. Oh no, it's not a big deal. He said, if you want to get through ranger school, here's the thing you need to do. It's very easy. It's very easy for him who's in top physical condition. But for us, this is what he said, it's very easy. Don't lose your gear. Don't lose your team and you'll make it. Don't lose your stuff, don't lose your team, and you'll make it. Ranger school's hard. Life is way harder. And many of us are operating without a team. But in the church, we remind each other, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Remember, this command was given to all of us, the whole church. Do you understand that one of the greatest gifts that God has given you to endure trial in your life is his church, is his people, fellow believers around you who can know you and love you and help you, fellow believers around you who can remind you of the hope that's coming, who can call you to pray or pray for you when you can't even do that, who can remind you of the truth and correct you when you're wrong and testify to the goodness of God in their own lives as they face their own specific set of trials. Listen, God knows we need community. We need each other. And when we do, and when we have this, we endure trial together. How do I know I love his church? Well, I've got a genuine affection. I'm not afraid to tell you the truth, for good or for bad. I've got a genuine service. I'm eager to serve. I've got a genuine endurance. I'm spurred on, and I'm spurring others on to joy and to prayer. Here's the last one. Look at this quickly. I can know that I love his church if I have, number four, a genuine generosity, a genuine generosity. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. How can I know that I genuinely love the people of God? It's pretty straightforward. Contribute support for the people of God and their needs. You give what you have to them. You're generous to them. You open your home for the care of others, to share a meal, to offer a place, to welcome. What you have been given by God, you share freely with others, generally, specifically to those who are in the household of faith. You know, another interesting thing about Southern Ontario, because we're all Canadians and we're all, you know, we've got our own way. Uh, I interact with a lot, uh, some internationals, and, and you internationals who bless our congregation, you were born in other parts of the world, you kind of feel like something's a little different with our community here. Because when you say, hey, would you like to come over for dinner? We pull out our phones and say, hang on, let me check. Uh, I've got free uh, space on March 14th. Would you, would you be able to work March 14th? Oh, hang on, I've got some big, big schedule, big calendars. Meanwhile, you who are from other countries, you mean, no, no when I say come over for dinner, I mean like right now. <laughs> Let's do this right now. Can you imagine what that, would ha- what that would do to our church? And I recognize there's culture here, and I recognize, but isn't there room for growth here? Come on over. Look at this giant house I got. We can't eat it all. Not the house, the food. <laughs> Contribute to the needs of saints and seek to show hospitality. So here they are. I've said this to you several times now. You cannot fulfill God's will for your life without genuinely loving, loving his church. 
Love is demonstrated in its actions. How do you know? How do you know you love his church? Well, you've got a genuine affection, not afraid to tell the truth. You've, you've got a genuine service. You're eager to serve. You're not a you, genuine endurance. You're not quitting. You're, you're calling others to joy and to prayer together. You're working. You're living life together. And you've got a genuine generosity sharing what God has given to you. How are you doing with these? Let me put one last piece of the puzzle in place. Let's look for a quick second at the perfect example of what genuine love for the church looks like. Let's look at the Lord Jesus Christ and his love. Look, look, look at the categories we built even today. Genuine affection. Genuine affection. These, these are just some of the verses I could pick a ton. There's lots of them out there. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's his love for the church even though we're sinners. And to be honest, a lot of us are resisting connecting and loving his church because... Well, there's people in it. <laughs> and the people are hard. Love God, not so much as people. I think if we're honest, we've all been in places like that. Look at how Christ shows his love for people. While they were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even when they were enemies, even when they crucified him, he died for them. Look at genuine service. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Not about me, not about my needs, but about your needs, Jesus comes. Genuine affection, genuine service. Here's genuine endurance. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy set before him, the salvation of countless souls, he endured the cross because of his love for the church. Look at genuine generosity. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, yet for the church, he became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. That's the perfect example of what love looks like. What we're seeing, even from those passages, even from those four passages, is that Jesus genuinely loved his church. And how did he love it? by sacrificing his life. What we're learning here is really so powerful. Because we said that love acts, but I didn't give you a real good definition of what love is. I think if I could put it into three words, based on God's word this morning, definition of love in three words, self-sacrificial giving. Think about it. That's how you know someone loves you. When it costs them to love you. When it costs them their plans their schedule, their money sometimes, to love. It gives up self to love others. So I can ask you again, as God's word bears down on us, is there a cost that you have experienced in genuinely loving the people of God? In your affection, in your service, in your endurance, in your generosity, as you love the people of God, do you see that there's actually been a cost to you? Has your life changed as a result of it? Have you had to adjust your priorities at all, even one inch? Have you had to, have you had to move off of some of the plans that you had for yourself? Have you given up to love? And the second question I ask you is, is God telling you that that's enough? What you've done is enough. Those are questions I can't answer for you. 
I'll just speak for myself. At the, if I can be honest with you, at the, as I go through this passage this week and as God's word cuts me and heals me, like the double-edged sword it is, I'm realizing, realizing that so much of my heart, in my heart, is not self-sacrificial giving. It's self-interested taking. I'm good with this for what I can get. What's in it for me? How much am I willing to sacrifice here? I'm just telling you what, what's in my heart. God, forgive me for it. God's working on my heart. I'm not being hard on myself. I'm just speaking the truth to myself now. And I get to love you and speak the truth to you. Is, is God calling you similar to similar things? Do you look in your life and see a self-sacrifice giver or do you see a self-interested taker? But God's word calls us to give sacrificially. Love costs you something when you do it. I came across this, this, this quote this week by Martin Luther. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. Listen, God's will for my life is that I become more and more like Jesus Christ. And one of the things we have seen is that Jesus massively loves his church. He gave his life for his church. And it's God's will for my life to become more and more made in the image of Jesus Christ. It should be natural that I should start to see more and more a growing love for his church in my life. And if I am resistant to his church, if I'm pulling away from his church, that's an indicator that I'm not becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. If God loves his people this much, and if it's God's design that I become more like Jesus, shouldn't I see this more in my life? Well, the reality is, yes, you should. The more that you and I love the Lord, the more that you and I will love what he loves. And Jesus loves his church. Jesus said this in Matthew 13, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. John 13. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You love each other. You prove that you love me. I think God's word is pretty clear. This is how we are to love one another. We are to speak the truth in love. We love each other enough to speak the truth. We love each other enough to serve. We love each other enough to call endurance in one another. We love each other enough to give to one another. Listen, maybe a choice from you is needed at the end of our text today. Maybe conviction from God's word rises up in your heart and you're, you're saying, you know what? It's time for me to dive in. It's time for me to dive in more than ever. I recognize the people of God are never going to get perfect in my eyes. Everyone's messy. But it's time for me to dive in because I love Jesus and I want to love his church. Maybe it's time to stop being solo, to stop sitting in the seats anonymously. Maybe it's time to step in and serve. There's still room. There's still opportunities. As long as the kingdom of God persists on this world, there will be opportunities to serve. Maybe it's time flat out to join a group. Maybe you've been isolated from a group for a while. You know, we, we, we went one step further for you. We put a table in the lobby even today. If you want to talk to someone, how do I get in a group? I need to get in community. It's been too long for me. Maybe for you men, it's going to be on uh, Mondays or Saturdays or women on Tuesdays or for you in 20s on Thursdays or seniors on, 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 on Thursdays or for the rest of us all over the week. Lots of opportunities the church meets in different places. Here's the truth as we finish. And I'll leave you with this. Jesus loves his church and it is his will for your good for your blessing that you and i love the church also 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, which is truth and speaks to us and is hard to receive sometimes. Father, I want to pray for that person maybe today who's struggling with a message because they have legitimately been hurt by a church. Maybe even this church. Hurt by the people of God and a careless statement that was said or an action that was taken. And it's caused them to live away and solo for a while. Too long, God. I pray, God, you would draw their heart and you would draw all of our hearts to see your great love for your people, even despite our brokenness, that you would draw us together by your spirit in an imperfect group who love you and seek your your truth, God, that you would change this community. And just as you have begun such an astounding work of God in this place, and we praise you, Lord, for what you have done, would you please continue it on Would you draw in all of our hearts, Lord, a deeper, deeper love for you, Lord Jesus, that results in a deeper love for the people of God. Please lead us in this. That you be glorified. That you receive all the praise and all the honor. We pray this in your name. Amen.